might have followed this story over the last little while, specifically over the weekend. Crews are working around the clock to clean up what has become a massive oil spill, a leak that has shut down a major pipeline that runs from Canada to the Texas Gulf Coast. That happened on Wednesday night. Uh, the 4,300-kilometer pipeline is owned by Canada's TC Energy. It helps move Alberta oil, as, amongst other things, um, crude oil to markets around North America. Approximately 14,000 barrels of oil have spilled into a creek in Washington County, Kansas. That's near Wichita. The company has not said or may not know what caused it. Cleanup still underway after the nearly 600,000-gallon oil spill into a creek in Washington County, Kansas, north of Wichita. The amount spilled enough to fill an Olympic-sized pool. Reed Feast, spokesman for TC Energy, says it's a race against the clock. We've got our response crews working on responding to the incident, and we also do have our technical crews looking into the cause of this. The long-term environmental impact not yet known, but the spill is contained. We will not restart our system here until it is safe to do so, and in until we have regulatory approval. Derek Dennis, ABC News. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency said no wells providing drinking water were affected and that oil didn't move into larger waterways. That's the good news. Uh, but a report from the U.S. Government Accountability Office, a congressional watchdog agency, found recently that spills from that pipeline have been increasing in severity in recent years and its safety record is now worse than the U.S. average. So what is the impact of this spill? What does it say about the safety record? There are some concerns about the way this particular pipeline works. It has something to do with pressure inside parts of the system um, that do allow it to flow in a different way that exceed typical maximum permitted levels. And environmentalists have been questioning that now. So what does this, what will the impact be of this? Joining me now with more on this is Heather exner Piro. She is a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, and she's in Calgary tonight. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. I guess we've been watching this one closely because this is a very important uh, pipeline for Alberta. Yeah, I guess people are familiar with the word keystone, and so maybe yes. perk up. Not keystone Excel, but keystone nonetheless. Um, and obviously people have oil and, and energy more on their minds these days than usual. What, has been the, um, what has been the impact of this? Just how important is this particular pipeline to the flow of Alberta oil uh, south? Well, I mean, it's it's it does about six hundred thousand barrels a day, so that's that's you know that's significant. Um, and when, you know, I, it's hard I think for people to imagine barrels. So you know, it, again, it's it's not. I'm not trying to diminish it. It's the Olympic-sized swimming pool worth of oil, uh, not a threat to drinking water, but it's a big deal for sure. I think it's the largest onshore crude pipeline uh, spill we're seeing in more than nine years. So we don't typically see pipeline spills of this size. And so it's obviously causing concern and giving people, you know, who, who want to see kind of pipelines, uh, you know, stop being built or, or ended, um, certainly more reason to say so. But, the, but, you know, for someone like me, the bigger question is, what is the impact on oil prices? Um, right, of and course, not from yeah. a commercial, not, yeah, not from a commercial perspective, but because we are in a crunch. Um, and $600,000 or 600,000 barrels is a lot. And actually, we also found out this week, or it was reported, that U.S. crude inventories are at a 36-year low. Um, so, you know, they've been re- releasing oil from their strategic petroleum reserve for, for over a year. Um, other inventories are lower. They're trying to sell as much as they can to global markets. Um, and so losing that 600,000 barrel puts stress on a system that was already stressed. However, oil is only up about $2 a barrel. So 
I, I would say that, you know, traders are more concerned about global recession and about China than I guess they are about actual crude inventories right now. Yeah, lots of things happening all at once, right? That uh, that impact. Mm-hmm. There are many ingredients in the big soup that is uh, that is energy prices. Um, going back to the pipeline itself, I mean, you mentioned, of course, that those who will tell you there is no such thing as a hundred percent safe pipeline are going to point to this one as well. But having remembered back to Lake Lac Bégantic and so far so forth, um, mm-hmm. it's still. I mean, pipelines are still figuratively, or at least per capita, safer than perhaps one of the safest ways to move this stuff around, no? Well, I mean, they absolutely are. And, you know, a, a, you know, a pipeline association will tell you that the amount that's spilled is, you know, a, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, you know, so that 99.999% of the oil gets there. And because it's in their interest, not only because of the fines and the cost of, of fixing spills, but because they want to get their product to market and actually sell it instead of have to remediate it. Um, and so, you know, they, so these things get a lot of attention. It's kind of like the airplane, you know, that crashes, uh, makes right. you think that airplanes are very dangerous, but, um, but in fact, compared to other ways, yeah, you know, and you mentioned rail, uh, people still truck, uh, oil in some places also that pipelines are the safest and the easiest to monitor. Now, I know you're not an engineer, but do you have any idea what this what this pressure uh, issue is within the Keystone system? I know that, uh, that that's something regulators in the states might be looking at, or at least a House subcommittee might be looking at, that th- there are parts of the Keystone pipeline uh, that operate differently. Is that is that correct? I'm not an engineer, so I won't no, be able to neither. answer that question. But, but I, w- I will say that, you know, the industry is very heavily regulated. Uh, that government has no qualms about fining and imposing stricter regulations on on pipeline operators, and so you know it, everything will be triggered, um, you know, to do to do the report, to do the investigation, um, to have their recommendations, and to make sure that Keystone addresses whatever the problems are. And if they were operating in some you know gray margins before, it would probably be harder for them to go forward doing that. Yeah, speaking of that, if we take a step back and just look how this might impact things further down the line, uh, what do you see as the long, I mean, ostensibly we know they'll figure out what happened and it will be cleaned up as much as it can be. Uh, but what do you think this does in the longer term to this long debate we've had over pipelines and safety and so forth? I think it will do nothing. And the reason is because we are not producing enough oil and gas to match what we're actually consuming. And the conversation is increasingly just going to be that we need to produce more and reduce the strain on on supply. And increasingly, it's going to have to come from Canada. There's another headline today out of Bloomberg that um, looks like the Permian, the shale revolution, has is, is close to peaking, uh, that it's matured, it's middle-aged, and it won't be able to be a swing producer anymore. We also know that the Biden administration is, you know, looking to Venezuela um, so right. that sanctions will hit Russia eventually, and they will start to decrease production because they just can't get their supply chains in order and, and they've reduced markets. So there are, you know, the price, you know, the $2 price is not reflecting all the pressures on crude inventories and crude production. And at some point, you know, when, when supply is not meeting demand, um, it, can't, it won't be speculation anymore about what will happen in the future. It'll be very real. And so uh, I don't think... I don't think it, there will be a time where we will be able to reduce our, you know, what we will, we will always need more oil than we're going to produce from now on because we have restricted production so much. 
Yeah, I mean, when you look at, at just, I, I guess the situation in China has been a huge, a, a huge drag on oil prices as well, because we're not sure what's going to happen with COVID restrictions lifted and so forth. So, again, there are all kinds of things going on. Uh, interesting though about the shale revolution, because I imagine what was so important about shale was how quickly you didn't need long, huge long-term mm-hmm. investment like you do with the oil sands. You could pretty much, I, I, this is a gross exaggeration, but you could pretty much turn it on and off like a tap if you needed it. And if it's if it's starting to fade, then that's going to be a big issue as well. Yeah, exactly. And I, people don't appreciate the geopolitical significance of the of the United States. You know, well, we used to have wars in the Middle East because they needed that Middle Eastern oil. If you wonder right. why that's been quiet for the last decade, it's because they've been producing with the Shell Revolution is, is fracking and, high, and horizontal drilling um, their own oil and now are by far the world's largest producers of, of oil. I think they're at, you know, 16 million barrels a day and are a net energy exporter rather than an importer. And 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 has not, have not had to suffer OPEC's you know uh, you know decisions that they could just be that swing producer for the world, um, and and when those days come to an end and it will be in the next decade, that will be a very hard time for any Western countries dependent on oil and imports. So right, and, and which I, is I in think Canada, seeing... which is in Canada, by the way. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I mean, the good news I... from Canada is the oil sands will be filling this gap. Yeah, I, I, although we are seeing more investment now, but we're not seeing the kind of investment you would think, uh, considering what you're talking about. No, and this is the, I mean, it's like, you know, where well, we do need tra- transition, but, you know, we had the critical mineral strategy come out. We are, we are about, the global mining investment is about two-thirds what it was in 2012. And it needs to be multiples of what it is to have an energy transition. So the scary thing is that the oil and gas, sector globally is spending as if we're going to hit net zero. Um, so the exploration, the production, the investment, they're looking kind of forward facing is, is compatible with net zero goals, but the mining industry is not, they are not spending as if we're going to hit net zero goals. And so there's going to be an energy gap and it'll be very painful. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. I was, I mean, that was the big subject last week was, was the new mining strategy and whether just how far behind we are in terms of producing mm-hmm. these sorts of critical minerals that we need for this transition to happen. You're right. You can't, can't really have one without the other, can you? No, no. Um, so we, we focused on, on uh, reducing supply of oil, but not on increasing supply of green energy yet in the, in the trillions that we need to spend. So, so Yeah. A worker in any workplace in British Columbia or their family should live in fear that when they go to clock in, go to their place of work, that they are at risk of attacks from thugs and criminals. That's why we're hoping that this $100,000 reward will prompt people to come forward with information that will allow the RCMP to make arrests, lay charges, and bring accountability and justice uh, over this for the victims over this very, very serious incident. So that was the president of the Independent Contractors and Business Association, uh, Chris Gardner. They announced alongside Crime Stoppers a $100,000 reward today in exchange for tips on an attack that took place 
back on February 17th, so uh, quite a while now, nearly 10 months, at the Coastal Gas Link site, a remote site uh, near the Morris River that was under construction. Uh, I mean, we saw a video of it. We talked about it back then. Uh, several people moved in on that uh, particular site and uh, it was seemed like a very coordinated attack at the time. We've heard very little about it since. Um, they were chasing off workers using axes and so on, the company's own equipment. They caused millions of dollars in damage and since then we really haven't heard very much from either the authorities. So today some money in place to try to get people uh, to share information about what could have happened that night and who was responsible. Uh, Heather Exner-Pierrot is with us this half hour. She's a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. This is a very strange incident when one looks at it because we know so little about what happened other than it was all captured on video. It does seem, yes, I think everyone's surprised that after 10 months, since there were 20 people, since it's a small community, everyone knows each other that not so much information has come out about it. So now there's a big incentive, um, you know, through Crime Stoppers and whatnot, I think, for people to divulge some information if they have it. What kind of impact does an incident like that have on just the overall mood around pipeline building? I mean, certainly the Coastal Gas Link pipeline has had its fair share of problems, uh, but that incident seems to really stand out. Well, this was obviously very, you know, very violent. You know, people with axes attack, you know, coming at uh, works on a construction site. And I think there's certainly a feeling amongst oil and gas workers. And you have to remember building a pipeline is, you know, you know, digging and welding. <laughs> There's, yeah. They're not, you know, they're, they're construction, they're building, they're building something. They're not per se, you know, taking oil or gas out of the ground, but I sense that, you know, anyone involved in this industry um, is, is complicit uh, and, and is fair attack from, from some quarters on the bright side, you know, people from all, all sorts of sides of the spectrum, you know, heavily, you know, condemned uh, the violence and, and no one was uh, making excuses uh, so hopefully this provides some resolution for, for the victims of this crime. And an interesting, you know, kind of coincidence is that four uh, protesters on a TMX site uh, were actually arrested this week. That's right. That's right. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting to see just the, the scale of opposition to these projects. I understand why it exists, obviously. Uh, but the tactics used tend to vary so much uh, when you look at, at the difference, different ones being employed. I feel like we're, we're in a slightly better place when it comes to at least talking to each other. But who knows? What do you see on that? Well, I, I think, you know, this was fed, you know, in February 2020, uh, you know, the blockades and the and the protests and, and emotions were very high and it was, you know, very polarized, I think, in the press. And there's also a lot of money uh, coming in for the protesters that could allow them to stay in camps and, and buy equipment uh, and kind of shelter in place. Uh, and so they were very well resourced. There's no denying that. Um, and this is a kind of, you know, coordinated attack that you can get when you're well resourced, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit less. I think CGL is closer to being finished. I think we think LNG and natural gas is better than we thought it was two years ago. And so that probably helps a little with at least public opinion is not quite as, as vehemently opposed to CGL as maybe it was two years ago. Yeah, certainly the idea of natural gas and that uh, the world may need more Canadian natural gas, I think, has become somewhat less polarizing, somewhat, not entirely. It was interesting mm-hmm. to see Germany sign that huge deal with Qatar, though, uh, or re- just recently, and sort of the reaction to that. I guess that is a lesson to Canada. I was reading an article, honestly, from 2015 that uh, were people such as yourself, but people were sounding the alarm about Canada needing to build some sort of LNG infrastructure uh, and just the opposition that existed to it. And this goes back to the previous government. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and yeah. and people saying there's you know people have forever been saying that there was no business case that these would be stranded assets. Um, you know, and look at us now, where kind of consultancies expect Asian gas demand to double, and now we see the consequences that because we don't have enough natural gas, not only is there an energy crisis, but coal. We've never burned so much coal. We'll never have as high emissions as we'll have in 2022, um, and that obviously Canadian LNG, BC LNG would be far superior. Um, you know, for Asian consumers than than natural gas. Uh, so yeah, times have times have definitely changed. Yeah, and the, and the issue that Canadian, even though clearly our ability to send it to uh, to Europe is fairly limited, especially if we need to. You know, I don't think we're going to be building huge facilities on the East Coast anytime soon. But just providing the Asian market with Canadian LNG would ease the system, would ease the burden on the entire system to some extent. Yeah, exactly. And there's very interesting things happening in that space on the Indigenous side, that there's two Indigenous-led projects where the Indigenous nation is actually the proponent, the Heisla and the Nizga. Um, and they're smaller projects than, you know, LNG Canada, which is an enormous project. But um, Cedar LNG should get its decision, uh, you know, in the next month or two. That's the Heisla-led project. And, and very likely that it'll be approved by BC. And again, in this case, the BC regulator noted that even though the project may may marginally increase BC emissions, it would reduce global emissions, which is what I guess proponents of the project have been saying for seven years, but here now you finally have the BC regulator agreeing. Yeah, it certainly is a long, a long process, isn't it? There's no two ways about that. No. However, it's a non-renewable resource. We're going to have human civilization for hundreds of years. Um, sometimes you know, sometimes we do need to take the long view like our Indigenous uh, colleagues do that, you know, this is generational. We missed seven years, but we did not miss the next 50. Heather Exner-Piro, as always, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks for having me.